So if you want to turn there in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8 uh, this morning. It's interesting that at this men's retreat, um, we spent time in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. The theme of the men's retreat was fellowship. Koinonia is the Greek word. And we talked a lot about the necessity and the need for fellowship uh, as Christians. Uh, this morning, I want to spend some time talking about our need for God's power. And it's interesting that Kyle's prayer, and he didn't know what I was going to be teaching this morning, but Kyle's prayer and out of Psalm and what he had said was, Lord, that you would give us this power to do the work in this world. And it's needful. We need to understand where our power comes from. And quite often I have asked this church, how many of you want to go further in your walk with Jesus Christ? And I would say that this would be one way in which you would be able to advance at least your witness in this world is that you would understand the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I titled this morning's message, But You Shall Receive Power. And so we read, uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, we read, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. And of course, this is Luke speaking of the fact that he had wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he is also the writer of Acts, this account of Acts. Verse 2, Until the day in which Jesus was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom Jesus also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many infallible proofs. You might want to underline that. Being seen by them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. We're told from Scripture that Jesus didn't raise from the dead like some phantom ghost. He didn't come out of that tomb and no one ever saw Him and they... The tale says that he rose from the dead, but there was no proof, nothing to, to hang on. But there were many infallible proofs that Jesus Christ, in fact, did raise from the dead. Scripture tells us that we have the Word of God, but even more than the Word of God, we have eyewitnesses that had seen Jesus Christ after he had risen from the dead. There was visible proof that he had actually come out of that tomb just like he said that he would. Jesus was not only visibly seen, but he had a tangible body, a glorified body, but a tangible body as he walked this earth and was on this earth for 40 days. We know that the Apostle John uh, would later make a, a great declaration in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He wrote, That which was from the beginning, he's speaking about Jesus from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, 
which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John says, we heard him. We heard him with our ears after that resurrection. And we saw him with our physical eyes. We literally saw the risen Lord. And we also touched him. We ate with him. We touched him. He was alive. And that's the declaration that John is making here to each of us this morning. That Jesus Christ, in fact, did raise from the dead. We know from Scripture that after the resurrection, Jesus spoke to the woman, the women, excuse me, that first came to the tomb that early morning. He also spoke specifically to Mary Magdalene. He showed himself to Peter sometime that same day. He walked and he talked with the two men walking on the road to Emmaus. He went to the disciples that same night to show himself alive to them. He went to his half-brother, James. He showed himself alive to his disciples on at least a few occasions that are recorded in Scripture. One time when Thomas was present, he let Thomas touch the nail prints in his hands and, the, and where the, they had pierced his side with the sword. And isn't God gracious in that way? He says you need that little bit of extra. He's been referred to as Doubting Thomas. You need that little bit of extra. And maybe there's some of us that needed that little bit of extra. And the Lord, by His grace, He gave it. It's recorded in the book of Corinthians that He was seen by over 500 people in one place at one time. And then lastly, we read in Scripture that Paul himself was also an eyewitness of the risen Lord. He came out of that tomb and proved it with many infallible proofs. Did he do it for himself? Or did he do it for you and I? He knew that he was going to come out of that tomb. He was the creator of the heavens and the earth. He had the ability to have power over the grave. And he did. And he came forth. But he really did this for you and I. That it would never be a guessing game. When we go out and witness, we can witness and give witness to the fact that Jesus Christ did in fact come out of that tomb. So let's look on in Acts chapter 1 at verse 4. But before we do that, I want to break it down into these, these five verses that we're going to look at this morning. In verses 4 through 5, Jesus commands His disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father. In verse 6 and 7, the disciples ask Jesus a final question before He ascends up into heaven. And then in verse 8, and lastly, we'll look at Jesus gave His final words to the disciples to go and preach the Gospel to the whole world. That's the Great Commission. It's what we're all called as Christians to do. 
But we need power. We need that power from above to be a, a really a dynamic type of witness for Jesus Christ. If you want to go further in your walk with Christ, I would say this morning that if you have never experienced the power of God working through you in your witness, in your life, even the power over sin, that you need that power in your life this morning. Let's read on in, in verse 4-8. to eight. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. You might underline those words, which He said, You have heard from Me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, when somebody gets water baptized, what does the word baptized mean? It means to dip, it means to immerse. We do that in this water baptismal up here. We dip people, we dunk them, we put them all the way under. John truly baptized with water in the Jordan, but the Holy Spirit was going to immerse, was going to immerse those with His Holy Spirit not many days from now, He told His disciples. Therefore, when they had come together, and I believe this possibly is another occasion, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking that question. And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power. This is it, guys. That you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to Me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I want that. I want that power in my life. And I hope that you want it. I hope you desire that power in your life. We're told, and being assembled together with them. It could also read, and some translations do, in sitting down, having a meal together. It's possible that Jesus was in Jerusalem at this moment with His disciples. And He was giving them some final instructions before He would go out to that Mount of Olives where He would ascend up into heaven and go to back to be with the Father and to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. In verse 4, we see a command. It's the first command that Jesus gives. He says to them not to depart from Jerusalem. He had a purpose in that. He had a reason in why He was giving this command. He was preparing the disciples to fulfill the Great Commission. He was going to tell them that they were going to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And the place that He wanted them to start that work was going to be in Jerusalem. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, 
and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it started in Jerusalem and then it moved out to the region of Judea and it moved out into the area of Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And that's the great commission for all of us. The second command that he gives in verse 4 is uh, this second command that he gives is wait for the promise of the Father. And it tells us what the promise was, that you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the Father. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Some of you may understand the Godhead. You may understand it in this way, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting is that there's a lot of people that know a lot about Jesus. They know a lot about God, but they know very little about the Holy Spirit. All three of them, all parts of the Godhead, are necessity for us as Christians to know, to understand the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. How many of us like to wait? I don't think any of us really particularly like to wait for things. Kind of like that waiting for that Christmas morning, if I could put it that way. You know, when you're waiting, as, especially as a child, to open up that gift. They hate to wait. And we quite often hate to wait. Wait for the Lord for things. But I can tell you that good things come when we wait on the Lord. The timing for the promise of the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't happen for another 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. You can look at your Bibles at verse 9, chapter 1. It says, Now when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. They visibly saw him ascend up into heaven. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, they were looking up as he ascended up. As he went up, we're told, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. That's a promise to all of us. He's coming back, church. Jesus Christ is going to return. Amen? Amen. That's worthy of a clap. Amen. Get a little bit wound up, church. It's okay. I love it. The promise of the Father. It, it, it wouldn't come until the Feast of Pentecost. Or it's also called the Feast of Weeks. It also by definition means 50th. That's what the, the actual name Pentecost means. 50th. And it would be 50 days after the resurrection that the Feast of Pentecost would come. That a miracle was going to take place on that day. I want you to go back into Jerusalem and I want you to... Wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That same Holy Spirit 
that came upon those 120 in that upper room is the same Holy Spirit that wants to pour out His Spirit upon you in all power that you yourself might be a witness, a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. I think the disciples at this point though, they didn't know. They didn't really understand. They didn't really see the big picture. They, they weren't putting two, to, two together. All they knew is that Jesus had commanded them to go into Jerusalem and you wait until you be endued with power from on high. That's all they really knew. Aren't you glad that our God is so patient with us? There's so much we don't understand. And He works with us. And that's what's amazing about our God. He works with our lack of knowledge at times. Our lack of understanding of these things. But He's faithful. What He promises, He will do. Even if you lack in your understanding of things at times. Jesus was going to be leaving them. He knew that something greater was coming. And not greater in power. I mean, look, what, look at Jesus here on earth. Look at the three and a half years of the power and authority that was demonstrated in the life of Jesus. It wasn't going to be greater in power or greater than Jesus Himself, but greater in its impact. Greater in its magnitude. Greater in its scope of what was going to take place after the day of Pentecost. The day that the Holy Spirit would come upon the believers there in Jerusalem. It was going to be a time that He was going to fulfill His Word and send the promise upon them. Jesus tells them in verse 4 to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said you have heard from me. In other words, this promise actually was not something new. They had heard Jesus speak about it before. It's just that they, they weren't connecting the whole thing. They, they didn't completely grasp. And I don't know that we would have either. They also had heard John the Baptist speak of this day. Jesus reminds them what John says in verse 5. He says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that would be ten days from now. We read in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 3, verse 11. We read that John the Baptist, he knew of this coming day when the Holy Spirit would be the baptizer when John was preaching and water baptizing disciples in the Judean wilderness, he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. A different kind of a baptism. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, John's baptism was with water. Jesus' baptism was going to be with the Holy Spirit. 
In John chapter 1, verse 29, we read that when John the Baptist was baptizing there in the Jordan River, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but I, that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing. See what it says? I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him, upon Jesus. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. This wasn't anything new. These were things that they had already heard. But they didn't understand exactly what Jesus was saying to them when He was telling them, I want you to go back into Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. Also in John 14, verse 12, the night before Jesus would go to the cross. Remember that very intimate time that He sat there with His disciples that evening. The Last Supper, we call it. He sat and He spoke with His disciples about this coming day. He says in verse 12, Most assuredly I say to you, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, He will do also. And greater works than these. He will do. Because I go to the Father. Greater works? As I just shared, it's not greater. In in one sense it's not greater. In another sense it is. In the magnitude, in the scope of it all, when God's Spirit would come upon the church, it was going to be greater in magnitude, greater in scope, greater in outreach. And whatever you ask in My name, That I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, then keep my commandments, Jesus says to them. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. He will give you the Holy Spirit that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive, He's referred to as the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, He says to His disciples, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. This was going to be a a whole new revelation, a whole new understanding of the, the work of the Holy Spirit. He will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. Remember, this is just the night of His arrest. But you will see me because I live 
you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am, uh, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. You see, God has so much more for us sometimes. We limit God. We need to stand upon the Word of God. God wants to give us the promise of the Holy Spirit. He wants to give us that power in our life. Not only to say no to sin, but to be a witness and a powerful witness for Him. Do you see something about the relationship that God wants to have with us? He's very personal. The men that were at the retreat this weekend, they heard about fellowship. I shared with them about first our fellowship begins this way, it goes this way with God before it can go this way. Before we can have true fellowship with one another, we first have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's a very personal God. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to share a part of Himself with us. He wants His Holy Spirit to come and make residence in your body for you to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. In verse 17, Jesus told His disciples that the Holy Spirit would be with you. The English word with is the Greek word para which means to come alongside. The Holy Spirit would come alongside. The Holy Spirit is everywhere present. The Holy Spirit is in the world. And even coming alongside those that don't know Christ, to convict them of sin, to draw them to Himself. The Holy Spirit has a work in the unchurched, and in the church, by coming alongside the disciples as Jesus walked with them, they experienced that close relationship with Jesus Christ walking with them. But we also have the words that He shall be in you. This was something that they didn't grasp. This is something they didn't know. He shall be in you, and it's a different Greek word. It's the Greek word N-E-N, which means to indwell. That He will indwell. He'll live within you. We read in the book of Romans that if that same Spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, He will also give life to your body by His Spirit that dwells in you. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to come and make residence within us. We're referred to as the temple of the living God. You can actually house the Holy Spirit of God when you give your life to Jesus Christ. That's the question. You see, not everybody has the Spirit of Christ. It also says in Romans 8, if any, if any man, any woman has not the Spirit of Christ, Paul says he's none of his. You can't be a true believer unless you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. He comes and makes residence within you. 
And we read Paul's words in Colossians 1.27. He says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This happened to the disciples in John chapter 20. In verse 19 we read, The day that Jesus rose from the dead at evening time, on Sunday, the first day of the week, that He came to the place they were gathered, possibly the upper room. And it says that they were gathered in that room for fear of the Jews. We read in verse 19 that Jesus came and we're told that He stood in the midst of them and He said to them, Peace be with you. Don't you love those words? Peace be with you. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. In other words, He's assuring them. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. And and I think they needed it. Can you imagine? He'd risen from the dead. He's showing them the nail prints and the side. He's alive. This is, put yourself in the moment. Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, he says to them, I also send you. And when he had said this, look what it says in verse 22. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, do you think that they received the Holy Spirit when He breathed on them? I think they did. What did they, how did they receive? I believe at that moment, the Holy Spirit came and made residence within them. The first time that we see God breathing into man goes all the way back to the garden. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. When we read in Genesis 2-7, and the Lord God, He formed man of the dust of the ground, and then we're told that He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The breath of God. Into man. From the dust of the earth, He became this living being. And here Jesus, in this intimate time with His disciples, He breathes on them, and He says to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Interesting the way He can... He transferred that into them to come and dwell in them. Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God was now indwelling within them. Just as He said that He would in John 14, 17. For He dwells with you and He will be in you. That's what He wanted them to grasp. Just like God breathing into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, His disciples now were coming to understand 
that God's Spirit wants to be. They understood that Greek word, that he would live and dwell inside of them. And that, by the way, is what we might say when a person is born again. If you've been born again, then you've been born again by the Holy Spirit of God. God takes your dead spirit as a result of the fall of Adam and sin and our spiritual person is dead. And He takes your dead spirit and He makes you alive by His Holy Spirit. His Spirit comes and regenerates your dead spirit by His Holy Spirit. And that is essential for somebody to have eternal life. And now we come to Acts 1.6 where Jesus and His disciples had come together possibly now on the Mount of Olives where He was going to ascend from. The place uh, that He went out to from Jerusalem. And they come to Him and they're going to ask Him for the last time a question. And verse 6, Therefore, when they... Jesus and the disciples had come together. They asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put into his own authority. We have to wonder, what the disciples were thinking when Jesus commanded his disciples, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. They didn't get it completely. They didn't understand. They were commanded to go and wait, not to leave Jerusalem. But they didn't understand completely what that meant. They might have been thinking, and I'm speculating, but they might have been thinking, is this it? Is this the day that we've been waiting for? You see, to every Jew that understood and knew their Bible, they knew that there was going to be a coming kingdom. They knew that a kingdom was coming. And they knew that the prophets spoke of a coming kingdom. And I have to think that the disciples must have been thinking, is this it? Is that what he's telling us to do, is to go back into Jerusalem and to wait in Jerusalem and tell you be endued with power? They didn't know what was going to happen. I don't think they understood or grasped what was going to happen. They just, I think, were thinking in relationship to this question, is this it? Is this the time that he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth? You see, in their mind, they thought it was going to be a political kingdom. They thought it was going to be a physical kingdom. They thought it was going to be a time that God was going to deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. Is this it? Is this the promise that he's talking about? Is that why he's telling us to go into Jerusalem and wait? What they didn't realize was the kingdom was already there. The king had already come. And their king was with them. Their thinking wasn't wrong, though. They're thinking of about a, a coming kingdom. It wasn't wrong. 
It's just that their interpretation was wrong. This coming kingdom on earth, as we see in Scripture, is still a coming kingdom that's going to happen when Christ returns. You see, Jesus is coming back. And there's coming a future kingdom. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to reign, by the way, with Christ for a thousand years during that millennial reign. And so, in fact, there is a coming kingdom. The kingdom had come because Jesus Christ was there, but a coming kingdom is still yet future in that millennial kingdom. And so their thinking wasn't wrong, it was just their interpretation was wrong. We're also told in John chapter 3, when Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, the religious man in his day, he said, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you will never see nor will you ever enter into the kingdom of God. And so he's still speaking of a kingdom that is yet future, a place prepared for us in heaven that is still yet to come. When Jesus said to his disciples, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Times refers to the passing of time. And seasons refers to an appointed time. In essence, Jesus is saying, you're not going to know when the kingdom is coming, men, so don't worry about it. Don't be consumed with that. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. The same way that Jesus said that no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour that the church is going to be raptured. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has in His own authority. And we need to remember that the disciples, they believe from their own Scriptures that the Old Testament prophets the Messiah. He was going to set up this physical, political kingdom here on earth. That's the way they interpreted it. But they didn't interpret it properly. They knew that the words of Jesus in Matthew 4.17 when He began to His public ministry. Do you remember the very first letter, red letters that you read in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus started his public ministry at age 30. You know what the words, the first words recorded? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what came out of Jesus' mouth as he began his public ministry. Why? The king was here. The king had come. He was beginning his uh, ministry of preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. So again, his disciples they were not wrong theologically. They just had the timing wrong. They had the timing wrong about the kingdom. They didn't see the whole picture. They were just simply set on the physical here on earth and what that would mean to them. And now we come to Acts 1.8. Many believe this is 
a key verse in the book of Acts. Some have given the book of Acts the theme, the works of the Holy Spirit is what's given, because you see it in the church, we, we see that the Holy Spirit all the way through the book of Acts. We need to know God the Father, don't we? We need to know him through the word of God. We need to know about Jesus, the Son of God, and we can find him in the, all four Gospels. You can read about Jesus, the Son of God. But we also need to know God, the Holy Spirit. We can't leave the Holy Spirit out of the equation. Some people, as I've already said, they focus on God, they focus on Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is just some power. By the way, the cults interpret it that way. The Holy Spirit is just a force. It's just a power. It's not a personality. It's not part of the Godhead. It's just a force or power that works in our life. That's not what the Word of God teaches. Look what it says in verse 8. These are Jesus' words. These are in red letters. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was the big picture. That was God's plan. This is what He knew from the beginning, what He was going to do and how He was going to do it, how He was going to accomplish the Great Commission. We need to know this threefold, we could call it, relationship of the Holy Spirit. We already learned that He is with us. Para. Christ in His Spirit was with them while He was here on earth, walking with His disciples for three and a half years. Christ was also drawing people to Himself. But we also... He wants us to know that the Holy Spirit wants to dwell in us. We need to be born again. We need to ask and invite the Holy Spirit to come and live with inside us. We need to repent of our sin and then invite God by His Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of us and cause us. It's a miracle of God to be born again. We need to be regenerated, as I already said, from our dead spirit. But then he also wanted them to know that the Holy Spirit wants to come upon us. That's the Greek word epi, E-P-I, epi, because we need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. We need that as Christians. We need him to be with us. We need Him to be in us, and we need to him have His power upon us. And there's three aspects. A threefold relationship, we might call it, of the Holy Spirit with you as a Christian. We need this supernatural, and that's what I want to focus on. This supernatural power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. That's what we need. The promise of the Father in verse 4, 
was it that they would receive power after the Holy Spirit came upon them. Epi. The English word power is the Greek word dunamis. We get, uh, it's actually a dynamic power, is how we could explain it. What kind of power are we talking about? This is the Spirit of God coming upon a believer. What kind of power are we talking about? We're talking about dynamic power. We get our English word dynamite from it. We're talking about explosive power. We can put it that way. That's the kind of power that Jesus wanted the disciples to experience. It's the power that He wants you to experience in your life and your walk with Christ. It's a powerful witness. I asked the men up at this men's retreat, how many of you really have experienced that kind of power in your life? How many of you have ever witnessed from an overflow is what I asked the men. How many of you experienced the Holy Spirit working through you as you were speaking to somebody, sharing the Gospel with them, and you experienced that power of God flowing through you? That's the Holy Spirit upon us. And that power should be an overflowing power in our lives. As we... And as you read through the book of Acts, as I already shared, the acts of the Holy Spirit, you'll see that the Holy Spirit and the overflow of the Holy Spirit working through mere men and women, working through the church, through the book of Acts, that it was powerful. And you just see this multiplication happening, people coming to know Christ. As you go through the book of Acts, We read in Acts 2.47, we talked about this at the men's retreat, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That happened after Pentecost. Jesus one day was teaching His disciples on prayer. The disciples said to Jesus, Lord, would You teach us to pray? In Luke 11.9, we read, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, this is Jesus telling his disciples how to pray, will he give him a stone? I don't think so. Or if he asks for a fish, will his father give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How do you get the Holy Spirit upon you? 
How are you able to fulfill what Paul said when he commanded us not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be completely dominated by the Holy Spirit, instead of those other outside sources, he likens it to being drunken with wine, to being controlled by the Holy Spirit. How do you get that? Lord, would you fill me today afresh with your Holy Spirit? I need your power today to overflow in my life. We need to ask. It's that simple. And will God give it? Yes, He will. Early in Jesus' ministry, He came to Jerusalem to celebrate the the feast. And we read in, in John chapter 7, verse 37, that it was on the last day. This would have been the eighth day, a feast lasting for eight days, that great day of the feast. And and by the way, this feast was the Feast of Tabernacles, which by what I can see and what I've come to learn is that we're in that time frame right now from September 22nd to 29th of 2021, a practicing Jew might be participating in the celebration of this feast. On that particular time that Jesus was in Jerusalem, we're told that he stood up in the moment and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Get this picture. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Do you see the timing of this? The Lord was going to leave this earth, ascend to the Father, and it was at that point that the disciples, one after the resurrection, he breathed on them, the Holy Spirit came and dwelt within them, he told them to go wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high, and the Holy Spirit would come upon them in a way that they had never experienced before. That's why Jesus says it's expedient that I leave. It's necessary for me to leave. There's going to be a greater work in in magnitude that's going to happen through the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the church. You won't be disappointed, church. And I think the disciples were probably a little bit disappointed. They were feeling, where are you going, Lord? It's expedient that I leave. The work is going to continue. It's it's going to be awesome, guys. It's going to be greater in magnitude. Wait and see. Again in John 14, verse 16, Jesus says to His disciples, again, we're at that last supper. We're at that last evening before Jesus was arrested that night to go to the cross. He says, and I will pray the Father, and and He will give you another helper. He will give you another helper. 
that he may abide with you for how long? Forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells, what? He dwells with you and will be in you. This is what he's saying to his disciples just hours before he was going to be arrested. And then in verse 25 of that chapter, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I was, while being present with you. But the helper, here it is again, the helper, and he says who it is, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. They didn't understand it. They didn't get it at the moment. But they would. They would experience it and they would understand it. We have the written revelation of God's Word here. We can understand it. It's right here. It's what God's Word says. In John 15, that same night, verse 26, when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. And also in John 16, verse 7, that same night, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And that's what they would later come to understand. It's what we should understand now as a church. We need to understand this truth now. And my prayer this morning for us is that we would have a better understanding of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to know it. We need to know how God works through us and in us We need to understand, we need to experience this power. Not just know it theologically, but how you'll experience the power of God, I'll tell you how you'll experience it. Step out of the boat. Get out of the boat and see if the water will hold you. Get out of the boat and say, God, will you fulfill your promise to me that I'll give you the words in the moment that you need them? As I open my mouth and I don't even know what I'm going to say, I just know that I want to tell somebody about you. God, would you give me the words as you promised in your word? You'll give me the words in the moment that I need them. Has that ever happened to you? All of a sudden you had a verse memorized 20 years ago. And as you began to converse with a person and share the gospel, God brings that verse back to your thoughts. And you're sharing a verse that you hadn't quoted in months or years. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He'll bring to your remembrance those things that you learn. As I'm always challenging you to memorize Scripture. Memorize them. God will bring them back to remembrance. You'll use them. My prayer is that we would have a better understanding of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But also that we would be filled with His power. 
that we would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we would become a powerful witness in this world. It's time, church. Right now is the time. There's no better time than right now. There's lots of people in this world that have no hope. There's lots of people that are asking for answers. They're all around us. Just give it a shot. Go out and try to open a conversation with somebody. Hand them a tract. Give them a Gospel of John. Do something just to initiate a conversation at work. Be bold in your witness. And if you want to be bold, know this. Boldness doesn't come like a salesman. Some of us are great salesmen. We can get out and talk to anybody. Some of us say, I can't, I have a hard time talking to anybody about anything. Boldness comes from above. Boldness is a work of the Holy Spirit. Boldness is when you trust that the Word of God that we have in hand is in fact the very words of God that a person needs to hear to have salvation. When you trust that, when you're confident in that, when you share it, you'll share it with boldness. My question for us this morning in closing is do you need this power? Do you need it? Raise your hand if you need it. If I see one hand not down, or down, I'm going to come out to you. Oh, mine's up too. Okay? Do we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? I think we do. And I'm not talking about salvation at the moment. Though that would be another question. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know Him this morning. And He'll come and dwell in you this morning. But if you know Him as Lord and Savior, but you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you in your walk with Him to be a witness for Him, a powerful witness for the Lord, then you need to ask Him like we read this morning. Ask Him, what will He do? He'll give it to you. He doesn't say, beg me for it. He just simply says, ask and I'll give it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That continues on to this day. Until the Lord comes back, the work is not done. If the work was done right now, the Lord would be coming back today. If it was all done. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering. He's patient towards all men, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's the heart of our God. He doesn't want people to die apart from Him. He doesn't want to send people to hell. If people go to hell, it's because they choose to go to hell. It's because they have rejected and they disbelieve. And that's the only reason. That's not the heart of God. It's not good people that go to heaven. It's sinners that go to heaven. Good people quite often don't need it. Jesus says... Those that know they're a sinner, those that need forgiveness, those are the ones that get forgiveness. Those are the ones that do go to heaven.
I'll finish with the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus came and He spoke to His disciples. He says, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then he says this at the end. And lo, I am with you till the end of the age, until the end of the earth, until the day Jesus Christ comes back. He says, I'm with you. Does that mean he's with us today? 2021 church? With us today. I'm with you till the end of the age. How is he with us? Well, he lives in me. His power comes upon me and He tells me, I will use you in a powerful way to do what I've commanded you to do. I don't leave you to your own, your own efforts, your own abilities. You throw all those things out the door. I will do it in you and through you by my Holy Spirit. Makes it easy. So let's go street witnessing. You want to do that? We'll just go out and lock the front door and walk out and go witnessing. Let's put it to the test for this morning. We'll just head out on the street right now. Wouldn't that be fun? I say, and I shared with the men at the retreat, I'm still going to do it. I want to put above those doors, you are entering the mission field. Every time you come to church and you walk out, Okay, here we go. We're all missionaries. We're all going into the mission field as soon as we walk out the doors of this church. And we have the Holy Spirit that goes with us. And so let's all stand. Let's have uh, the worship team come up. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're going to have some people that are going to be down front here like to ask Todd and Jeannie and, and uh, Bruce and Carolyn and, and uh, I think Darren might be. I don't know if Darren's in here. Have Darren come down here. And uh, they're going to be standing up here. Uh, I'll be down here. Um, all of you raised your hand and said, I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I would like to invite all of you to, to come down. Whoever, you know, whoever says, hey, I need that fresh power in my life. I need it. I need it this morning and I need it now. I need it when I leave this place. You can have it. Don't be afraid of it. God doesn't do anything weird. You know, just, just say, God, I need that power in my life. And if you all come down, I'll just say one big prayer for all of us. I think we all should. But stand before the Lord. You're not standing before me. You're not accountable to me with it. You're accountable to the Lord. But we have people here that will pray with you specifically. And so let's worship. Let's come down. Let's say, God, I need that power in my life. We'll pray for you. You're asking, and you're going to receive. And so let's worship.
we pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's your grace in our lives. So we pour out our praise to only things that 
is important when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, being full of the Holy Spirit, is that we empty ourselves of self. Holy Spirit wants to come and take residence with inside of us. He wants to come in and empower vessels that are clean and emptied of self. And if we just simply say before the Lord, God, would you empty me now of self? Would you forgive me of my sin now? The things that I don't even know, the things that you see now. God, would you do that in my heart now? Cleanse me afresh. And then our prayer is, God, would you fill me? Would you empower me? Would you pour out your Spirit upon me even now? that I might experience your power in my life. The helper that wants to help you in your life with Him, your walk with Him, your witness with Him. And so let's all pray. Those of you who didn't come forward, I'm going to assume that every single one of you are overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit and you don't need to be up here. And so praise God for that. Right? So let's pray, all of us together. Dear God, we come before you. And Father, we, we are so thankful how patient you are with our lives. And, but Lord, how forgiving you are. Your blood continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It wasn't just a one-time act. It's, a, it's an act today, a, a cleansing afresh today of our sin and, and even tomorrow's sin, Lord. And we thank You for that precious and powerful blood that was shed on that cross for our sin. Lord, that we might have eternal life. And Lord, would You empty us? Would you deplete us, Lord, even now, Lord, of ourself, our own desires, those things that we quite often, by our own will, we put them in the way of what you want to do in our life. Lord, that we would be a vessel, Lord, that would be yielded to the will of God, not to the will of our flesh, but to the will of God. And God, would you fill us even now, as your word tells us if we would ask, that You're our Heavenly Father and You want to give us Your Holy Spirit. Lord, would You empower us with Your Holy Spirit even now? Would You pour out Your Holy Spirit upon us in full measure that we might experience You in our hearts even now as we're praying, Lord, that You would pour out that dunamis power upon us. And Lord, as we leave this place today, Lord, that we would go in faith that we would believe, Lord, that that power is what we need to be a witness for You. That we would leave and go into our week this, this next week, Lord, looking for opportunities to put this to the test. Lord, would You give us opportunity to open our mouth for You? Would You give us that boldness that comes from above? Lord, that we might go out, that we might even have opportunity Lord, either to plant a seed or to water a seed or to reap the harvest. Lord, whatever you have for us, we commit it to you. We trust you. We look forward to that day when we're in your kingdom and we're face to face with you. And there won't be any witnessing in heaven. 
<laughs> That's just here and now. No witnessing in heaven. It'll all be done. And we thank you for it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.